The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of the Belmont Media Center or the Town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Welcome to the Hopeless Fancast, the podcast that loves fans as much as fans love pop culture. I'm your host, Eileen Maxson. Before you listen to our show, be pre-warned. There will be spoilers. For today's episode, we're talking with Meg, who is a radio programmer from Tuscaloosa, about the show Legion. Hey, Meg, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. So... Legion, awesome show. What do you love about it? You know, there are so many things that I love about the show. I think the biggest thing that really drew me in and made me a fan is that it's not your traditional Marvel Cinematic Universe show. You know, my, my husband is a huge Marvel fanboy. He's always watching the latest, you know, Avengers, Captain America, whatnot, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you, it doesn't keep my interest. I'm not really into the whole explosions and just sort of cliche, I hate to say it, good guy versus bad guy type narrative. Right. And I find that with Legion, it's so unlike anything else I've watched before. It makes you think, but it, at the same time, it's also enjoyable and that I just love it. The cinematography, the direction, the writing, it's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. It's in just a category all to itself. There's nothing like it. Yes, I know. And then I ask people with your work or friends, are you watching Legion? And people say, no, what is it? And I'm like, I don't even know how to tell you what Legion is. Do you have 30 to 40 minutes? Right, right. It's definitely not one that you can explain very well. And like, you know, oh, yeah, I can't help but wonder what the elevator pitch was for this show. You know, like we were talking about the way that it's listed. And it's like David Holler is diagnosed with schizophrenia and then tries to find out what's really going on. And that was it. It's like that, that, that just doesn't do anything. Doesn't do it any justice at all. Nope. And I'll be honest, you know, the first season, I hadn't even watched the first season until one day. And it was actually a couple months ago. I was just bored and I'm trying to find something available, you know, on demand. And I remember my husband talking about it and saying, oh, it's this Marvel show. You might like it. I'll be honest with you again. I'm like Marvel superheroes, not my cup of tea, you know, because I'm kind of into the pretentious, weird kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, well, I'll just check out one episode. I mean, what could it hurt? Right. And then I think the whole first season is incredible. It, it's definitely the sort of show that just grabs you and you can just fly right through it because it's wonderful. So I definitely recommend that anybody out there who, who has not actually watched watch this show oh my god you need to give it a shot immediately stop what you're doing go home binge it i'm pretty sure the entire second season's already available on fx pro tip pay like the extra five dollars a month with your cable provider and get the fx plus so you don't have to watch any commercials because you know I'd be, i forgot too that i had that and i'd recorded it on dvr and i found myself you know fast forwarding through commercials and i'm like wait a minute meg you pay like five dollars a month so you don't have to watch right. these commercials right? <laughs> i mean seriously i actually don't have fx plus but i yeah. should look into it 
Um, good. It's yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're getting to the point where we're like, you know, starting to think about maybe cutting the, uh, uh, the cable cord, figuring out where to get all of my Pretty live sure TV. It's kind of like an HBO plus kind of situation where you pay for it and then you're able to access it on any device anywhere. Right. So do you have a favorite character? You know, if I had to choose a favorite character and it's kind of a challenge because I'm a really huge fan of Carrie Carrie. Uh, oh, my God. Yes. It has nothing to do with the fact that dude Carrie was actually Mr. Noodle from Elmo's. Yes. <laughs> I guess I'd have to choose if I had to pick one specific favorite. It's really tough because I, I really love Melanie. But yeah. I'm going to have to go with Sid. I, yeah. You know, she's just a strong character. She's been through so much. She's kind of a badass, too. So I'm going to go with Sid. She is. She has a lot more depth to her than I think a lot of Marvel. Like, I'm actually a fan of the Marvel superhero universe, so I'm, I'm good yeah. with that. But there's definitely a depth to her that you don't find in a lot of other superhero heroines. Right. And I, one of the things I do now when I'm really into a TV show like I am with Legion, is I've subscribed to the show subreddit, and then I discuss the show with people online because I'm oh, a nerd. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I find that one specific thing about Sid is so many people question her motivations, and it's people who are so, I guess, used to the traditional just supportive female character, you know? Right. David's my man. Whatever he does, I'm going to support, you know? Right, and right. And I think that's one of the reasons that I, I love her character, that she's strong and it really is a subversive kind of role. It's true. Yeah, and it was interesting what they wound up doing with her in the season in season two because you have where season one, she was simultaneously very supportive but also very challenging. Um, but by right. the end of season two, you have her starting to really doubt what's going on with David. I love that relationship because it is simultaneously this really strong love relationship, but at the same time, they are constantly kind of discovering each other. Right, um, and I think yeah. it's very cool that, you know, Noah Hawley, the rest of our writing staff, was very realistic about the fact that, you know, David just disappeared, which, by the way, asterisk, they never explained what the heck was up with him disappearing into that orb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very realistic about the fact that, you know, when he came back, sure, Sid was happy to see him. But, I mean, he was gone for a year. And in any normal relationship that you would have, especially a newer relationship, if that person is gone for a year, when you come back, there is a strain on the relationship. Right, And I right. like that it wasn't just, oh, you've been gone in some weird, crazy orb for God knows how long. You're back and our relationship is the exact same without missing a beat. Yeah. I think what they wound up saying was that it was like future Sid. That had kidnapped him with an orb in his present, which I don't know how that worked out. But, you know, Future Sid was doing stuff, yeah. you know, throughout the, the whole season that was kind of weird and unpredictable. But yeah, but it was still, I mean, because his reaction was, but you were the one who did it to me. I didn't do this because I wanted to. It's still that it really doesn't matter why it was because, that yeah. he left. He's still been gone. Right. You're going for a long time. It's going to put a strain on any relationship and uh, it's just yeah. I just I just love how especially toward the, the the last I would say two or three episodes you really see her especially when she's with Melanie and Melanie's showing her this is the real David 
this is David's face. Look at the way he smirks when he hurts people. Right. That you see him sort of struggling with that, that like, oh, well, do I love the idea of David? Or is this person that's really in front of me someone that I have real true love for, you know? Yeah, and it's really hard to kind of wrap, well, certainly for me to wrap my brain around the whole thing because yes, David is, he smirks when he hurts people and that's terrible. But it, it, it goes to the question of, is David really a bad guy? Which in the comics, apparently, like I hadn't read any of the comics before I saw the show. Um, so I didn't really know anything about the story of Legion. But in the comics, Legion is a bad guy. Yeah. So kind of trying to fit what we know about the character of David. One of the things that it does is that it's not really possible for us to kind of slot him into a box. Like you can't just say, okay, he's good guy, therefore, you know, he's in that box and he's in that box forever. Or he's a bad guy and he's in that box and he's in that box forever. There's lots of shades of gray. Every time somebody in the show tries to place him as good guy or bad guy, it doesn't go well. Right. You don't see that. You don't really see a very clear, this is good, this is bad. And and like you mentioned, you know, in the comics from what I've read, yeah, Legion is, is, is a super bad, so to speak. But I think it's interesting to see in this show the way his character has developed because even in the first few episodes, you can see that it's not, for example, a Breaking Bad kind of character arc where over all this really amazing long story arc, we see a typical guy, nice guy, go to the ultimate evil it's sort of like gray the entire time and it feels like we're tipping a little bit more into shades of darker gray now but right. uh, that's something that's always fascinated me about the show and also just m my personal feelings in general i'm kind of over the whole tortured male protagonist angle in shows right and one of the things i love the most about legion is that yes you do have david and david is a tortured person but you also have great characters like sid and melanie and carrie and the arc with oliver that it, it's not all about just you know poor old david i guess it's true and you definitely get the sense that everything else in the narrative is only attached to David. That's not something that they're doing. I would be incredibly surprised if at some point they did, you know, the fridging thing and, you right. know, killed Sid just to make David, you know, get mad or whatever. Right, um, right. Because of that, I, I have a lot of faith in the writers. Oh, totally. Yeah. Not is a genius. He does Fargo too, right? Yes, yes, which is probably one of my top three favorite television series of all time. Yeah, as a huge Cohen Brothers fan, I remember thinking, wow, a television series of Fargo, please. <laughs> Are, you know, there's nothing left to reboot at this point. But I mean, seriously, show's fantastic. I would say the second season of Fargo is probably the most well-written thing I've ever had the extreme pleasure of watching on television. I have only seen, I'm not sure if it's the third season. It's the one with Ian McGregor. Yeah, it's the third season. The third? Yeah. Okay. I've only seen the third season. Like I had heard about it. I think I saw like one episode of season one and it didn't yeah. really grab me. But then I thought, you know, okay, well, people say that the show's really good and it's an anthology. So I'll, I'll give it a shot coming up on, on season three. And yeah. oh my God, it was amazing. <laughs> oh, so good. And one of the things I thought was really cool was that when I read about 
once I became a bigger fan of Legion, do you hear about, yeah, the cast, for example, like Sid, she's in the second season, as well as Jean Smart, who has an amazing badass role in the second season of Fargo. Awesome. One of her reasons for signing on to Legion without even knowing a lot of the project was saying, well, anything that Noah does, I am 100% on board with. Awesome. I love it when that happens. When like, you know, there's directors and actors who just gel and that people will jump on the, uh, the train of whatever project that they do. So I'm also really fond of the carries, personally. Like uh, Bill Irwin, who who plays the male half Mr. of Noodle. that duo. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. He's Mr. Noodle. Where I first saw him, when I was a kid and saw the movie Popeye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was in that. Uh, I think that might have been like his first screen role, which, of course, you know, it's, it's, it's not a great movie. but he's in it and is very memorable and every time he would pop up in things from from then on i'm like oh my god it's that guy the uh the music video for don't worry be happy he's in that along with robin williams too yeah he is classically trained as a clown um i did not know that that's crazy yeah, he's amazing. He did a like a documentary for PBS at one point talking about what it's like to be a clown and the history behind it and putting on the makeup and what that means and how, you know, back in the day, the makeup had like lead in it. And so people who were clowns would slowly be poisoned by their makeup. Oh, it's awesome. He's so awesome. So so Bill Irwin, I'm I'm a huge fan. And then the dynamic between the two of them is also just so fantastic. Yeah, fascinating. I love the carries. You know, I mean, Oliver's great. How can you go wrong with Jemaine Clement? Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And, uh, oh my god, and this is whatever, I can't believe I'm admitting this to you. I I, I want to say the guy's name was David, but I can't remember the last name. Which character? Farood. Like the the dude who actually oh, played yeah. Farood. Like Farouk. I, I yeah. him so hot. Like he had this weird sexiness about him. He does. And I was like, I'm kind of into the Shadow King. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he has they say that sometime, like I think it it, it was actually all who says something like you know he had a really sexy voice um yes. because he totally does i'm i'm looking up the uh I want to say david something i might be wrong though Na- navid very okay. very close navid navid ne- and that's just that's such an amazing weird. character Animal yeah. magnetism to him. And another thing, too, and I, I've you've seen this discussed, I haven't participated in the really lengthy threads about it on, on the subreddit for, for Legion. But one thing that a lot of people had brought up was with the character of David, was he actually better served when Farouk was part of his brain and sort of reigning his evil in? Yeah, that is a, a really, you know, that's the $10,000 question right there when yeah. it, it comes to like the second season. And then, of course, that completely reframes the first season right and then like okay i'm not gonna give you any huge spoilers you've probably read about the the comics you know david's dad is right uh it is uh charles xavier yeah yes yes Yes. one of the things that i read about when i was reading about the character history was that you know apparently at one point the whole astral plane thing is confusing sometimes right (laughs) like professor x had had some sort of like mind fight with farouk and just assumed that he'd beaten him hmm. you know yeah he's like oh i've kicked this guy's butt like it's totally fine and had not actually killed farouk and that allowed 
Farouk to weasel his way into David's brain. And then you think about the fact that, you know, if Professor X had known that David had had his abilities and then he just sort of abandoned his son with, without guidance, you know, does that make him a so-called bad guy? Right. That's a good question. Thing I think about, you know. Yeah. So where do you come down on, on that question as to uh, whether or not Farouk was actually kind of a good kind of limiting factor on David? You know, it's it's strange. The more that I think about it, I feel like it was actually a better thing for him because now, you know, uh, you've seen the way he sort of behaved at, at the very last episode of the second season. Should complete power be completely limitless, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to see. And there's so many things about that episode that really threw me for a loop, by the way, which if Lenny is really in David's sister's body... Are they going to hook up now? Because that's really weird. That, like, that is incredibly weird. And like, it, are you, yeah. is it Amy with whom you're, or is it? Right, like, right. Like, it's very strange to me. It's like, yeah, uh, what, do you need both body and mind to be your sister in order for it to be incest? Right. Uh, is it incest that's just, crazy. I mean, yeah. It's creepy. <laughs> it's really it's creepy. creepy. Yes, and, it then, is. and then his erasing, you know, Sid's memories and basically drugging her and sort of getting to the point where the two of them are intimate again. Like, yeah, ugh, how do you come back from that in the third season? You know, if if we're supposed to sympathize with David and still see him as a character, you know, for whom we can root like I, I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah, neither do I. I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Are you familiar with Buffy? It's been a while, but yeah. <laughs> okay, there's, like, at one point, Willow does something, and it makes Tara really angry. And so Willow wipes her memory of it. Yeah. So, so that everything can be nice and shiny, and they're happy and in love and stuff. Tara finds out about it and leaves her because... Of course, she, you know, messed with her brain and that's not okay. Yeah. Later on, they do wind up getting back together, but they got back together. They, you know, are intimate and then she gets shot through the window. So, you know, we do wind up kind of sympathizing with Willow again. Yeah. Um. So I think that that is possible, but that is a, a line that he crossed where like, I can kind of understand him being a little bit gleeful when he's, you know, killing Farouk. Um, yeah. Because Farouk has made his life hell for a really long right, time. Right. That's the embodiment of all your troubles. And, you know, if I just get rid of this and then I won't have any problems anymore. But, you know, Sid, this is supposed to be someone that you love. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, they've been together for, what, a year or two years at that point. Right. And Something that really irritates me is a lot of people that are fans of the series try to bring up the fact that, oh, well, when Sid was a kid and she's a teenager, she sort of switched places with her mother. Yeah. You know, and that whole weird scene with her mother's boyfriend. But, you know, we're talking about, a, first of all, like a teenager. You know, um, she's she's a minor, obviously, and, and not too aware of her of her actions. Mm -hmm. And she had not been in a committed relationship with this person you know, and, and it's just frustrating for, for David, for someone who, you know, claims that this is Sid, this is the love of my life. Why would you make that decision? And to me, that makes him all the more, I don't know, inherently evil, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There's there's that whole episode, which is like my favorite episode. The one yes. that's, that's in Sid's mind and where uh, David's trying to understand her. It's this whole episode of him trying to understand her and it's fabulous. 
Oh my God. I love it so much. And I, I don't Thank know. You. And I think one of the reasons that I liked it so much, it's, it's just very, I don't know, typical male behavior and is a very outspoken feminist. I, I really enjoyed having to see him go through those narratives time and time again. until he really has to question like, no, it's not about that. You're longing for touch. No, it's not that you want true love. It's that you've endured all this and still came out the other side, you know? Right, right. It's not that you need me to save you somehow, you know. Right. It's not that you need me for intimacy. It's not that you you need me for validation. She needs him to understand what love is and that I am a strong person and that you can be a strong person too and that it is our strength that supports the love as opposed to the other way around. Right, right. Yeah. She's shown in rough situations like you know there's a lot of stuff that's going on where she's done things that are not positive and you know the fact that they are totally willing to to show all of that and to let her be a person who has lived through all of this both good and bad and come out the other side is amazing right I feel like as a character she sort of has her own agency and is her own person outside of her relationship with David, what I think is really rare in a lot of superhero type shows or movies. Yeah, like at the moment, I'm thinking of how uh, Black Widow and the Hulk have this kind of weird relationship. Both of them feel like they're monsters, but maybe if they love each other, then, you know, they and won't feel like... love, yeah. Right, right. They won't feel like monsters anymore. And yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's so nice that it's not that they don't love each other because they do. And I think they do even even to the end of season two, even when she rejects him after he's done that to her, I think that they do still love each other. But that love is both central, but yet also central in a supporting role, I want to say. Right, so, right, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned before the, the visuals of the show. The cinematography is amazing. The costumes, everything is so Impeccable. fantastic. Just yeah. like every other Noah Hawley series. You know, once you've seen all the seasons of Fargo, uh-huh. you kind of get a, a vibe for, you know, his whole aesthetic, which is just it's just impeccable. I mean, the, the cinematography is beautiful. The costume design is amazing. And any series with which he is involved has the best I mean the absolute best choices in terms of music and it's fascinating to me that a lot of those like credit type songs are actually his covers a couple of his own covers of songs yeah were featured in 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 the series and the music director for Legion was also the music director for Fraga Jeff Russo who was actually Uh in the band Tonic (laughs) oh wow yeah, but uh, it's just impeccable. Like, just the choices. I mean, the fact that, like, uh, I, I want to say it was the season finale. It was either the season finale or the, or the one before. They actually used Radiohead's True Love Waits, and I'm just sitting there like, oh, my God, this is about Sean Television. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm actually not sure which song that is, so so I can't. It's a Radiohead song, and it was actually released on their last album, but it was, like, a kind of a rarity that was very, very rare. They would been working on it for quite some time and perform it live a couple of times and uh-huh. then the fact that it actually came out on you know i think it's like a moon-shaped pool or whatever it's the album that song's on but nice. to hear it on the show and the way that it was used with the scene with sid and david it was just fascinating was it the yeah, actual the song fight scene with david and farouk and that weird oh cup 
cover of Behind Blue Eyes. Yes, I loved that. That was so powerful. Uh, that that particular scene like I, I actually rewound it and watched it again because of the music with the two of them you know singing at each other yeah. um, it's just fantastic there's a cover of Cornflake Girl uh, Tori Amos's yes, Cornflake Girl yes. <laughs> and then Tom Petty's Don't Come Around Here No More which is brilliant because it's the scene where you know Amy's being transformed and the music video for Don't Come Around Here No More yeah at the end has Alice from Alice in Wonderland like out on a table being eaten like a cake. Yeah. The the imagery is like exactly the same. But are are you saying that that's actually Noah Hawley singing? I think those? it is. Oh I my think gosh. It, I think that him and he's and I'll have to go back through. I'd have to like go back through and think about it, but yeah, it's actually him. Like he's he you'll see him, you'll see that he's a singing in a lot of those covers, which is fascinating. That that is fascinating. That's and amazing. Like the whole, yeah. The second season of Fargo is is oh it's so great. Oh my god, I can't <laughs> even the second season of Fargo is really cool because at the end, whenever you have the credits roll after the episode, there's a different cover of a song, and each cover of a song was one that was featured in a Coen Brothers movie. Oh my gosh. Um, and uh, yeah, and they had different artists cover them. There's like Blitz and Trap Road one. Uh, Brett from Spoon does one. But then Noah did a couple that were just like, I'm like, damn, dude, you're like a renaissance man. You can write <laughs> and direct shows. And I'm just a fangirl. I read, I read his novel last summer before the fall. He has and a... it's, it's great too. Wow. He has a novel too. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. When did he sleep? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm definitely going to have to just track down everything about, about him now because that's amazing. Yeah. Cool. I really love uh, the covers, but I think if, if I were to say my favorite use of music, it's in that episode where you see David and all the different timelines. Are you talking about like when he's huffing glue or whatever? He sees the mouse. Yes, yes, I love <laughs> that. Great. Like, like That's the great. slave yeah. for love. And the, the mouse is dancing all yeah, over the yeah. place. That's like, yeah, yeah. That's my favorite. <laughs> I know, and it's just so unexpected. Yeah. Well, one of the things, too, is that the fact that he does Fargo, too, is probably indicative of this. But Noah Hawley obviously just loves movies. Yeah. Because there are so many movie references in this show. And right, they're, they're right. And they're so perfectly placed, too, so that it's and not just... they're not heavy-handed, either. Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, look, I'm going to flat-out reference you know, for example, I, I love the fact like Sid Barrett, like that's her name. And right. I love that, yeah, that's like a whole, this is an allusion to, you know, the original lead singer of Pink Floyd, you right. know, but it's not, I don't know, it's not very like heavy handed, like, oh, I'm going to make it completely obvious that this is a reference to a clockwork orange. You know, I, right. I enjoy those things. Yeah, Some they definitely. Like breadcrumbs, you know, that you can yeah. sort of pick up on and, and enjoy a little bit more. Yes, yes, that's so true. He's fond of Kubrick because there's yeah. Kubrick references yeah. everywhere. I love the scene in, again, that episode where he's, it's all the different timelines. It's the timeline where he is homeless and really kind of in the throes of his schizophrenia. And that group of people shows up and yeah, it's totally Clockwork yeah. Orange. Yeah. But, but then how he, you know, he turns it on his head 
by having David go nuclear, basically. He blows them all up and you see the shadows, you know, that, like... Yeah, that was such a stunning visual, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, like the, the Hiroshima shadows. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he doesn't just reference in order to reference. He references in order to, to weave kind of that deeper tapestry. And then also the, the costumes and the hair and everything... It has a very sixties slash seventies feel to it. I yeah. Really enjoy the fact that it's very like you can't pick up specific time period for the show. Right. You know, yeah, the costumes are very evocative of like late sixties, seventies, and I love, you know, the division three headquarters and how it's just so oh, the, you can tell it's a throw to brutalist architecture but it's it's fascinating to me but there's also the the question of perception and how what we're seeing is really david's perception of everything what exactly can we trust he is the uh the quintessential unreliable narrator oh definitely and then you wonder is his unreliable nature a result of his being a person that makes bad choices and could so be evil or is it just a result of his mental illness or I don't know it's just fascinating to me I think that you know the question of the mental illness is is really important because I get the sense that when you have a mental illness like that where you're not always sure exactly what is real and what's not you kind of come up with a way of living your life in order to compensate for it I could kind of see that as being what he's portraying to us and what we are seeing um, with him as our narrator. It isn't necessarily that he's trying to deceive us, but it's that he's not always certain exactly where the reality is himself, which right, right. really muddies the waters in, in an interesting way, because there might even be times when he is deceiving us, but he's not even sure of what he's doing. Yeah, so you have, you know, the moments where he's questioning whether he ever left the institution. You know, you have these flashes of him interacting with the mutants in, in season one. And then, you know, flashes of him just being back in the institution, which, right. you know, you have to ask, well, does that mean that he's actually in the institution? Or does it mean that he is thinking, can this actually be real? Yeah. Because, you know, if, if a bunch of people who said that they were mutants and had all these wacky powers came to me and started getting me involved with their stuff, I would start to wonder if, if my sanity was, you know, on the level as well. Yeah. You're not crazy. You have untold powers and your whole life, you know, all the struggle and pain that you've had was something that could have been avoided. I don't know. It's fascinating to me. Definitely. And, you know, he, he makes reference of it at one point that when you have schizophrenia, it's true of pretty much any mental health issue. The thing that is the most dangerous is that your disease convinces you you don't have it. I can see him always being careful about convincing himself that, no, I'm not actually sick. I have powers. But of course, you know, it turns out that it isn't that he isn't sick. It's that he has powers and he's schizophrenic. Right, right. What he kept saying in the finale? I'm a good person. I deserve to be loved. Yes. Oh, <laughs> it's 
so heartbreaking though. Yeah. Like he because I I think he sincerely wants to be a good person and right. you know, he has major obstacles in trying to achieve that. Yeah. So one of the things that happened in in uh, season 2 is this notion of a delusion. How did you interpret that? You know, I have to think about that for a second. You know, I mean, it could be, you know, the delusion that David has could be that I'm a good person, that I deserve to be loved. You know, I mean, how do you, how do you think about that? And, and the notion of the way, and I, I don't think we ever really were given a, a name for, for John Hamm's voiceover character. The little lessons, so to speak, that you see before the episodes begin, you, you hear about a delusion, you see the way that, for example, the whole uh, conversion disorder with the cheerleaders it begins right. as a small seed of a delusion and then it grows into something larger, you know, right? the way right. that a small idea can sort of be implanted in your brain. You know, could it be that David thinks he's a good person? Could you argue that he deserved to be loved and Melanie planted the delusion in Sid's mind that David's a bad person. You know, there are a lot of ways you could examine it, I guess. Yeah. There were probably more than one delusion going around now that I think oh, about yeah. it. Yeah. Multiple. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple delusions. All the little, you know, spindly black creatures crawling out of the eggs. Yeah. I mean, definitely like, you know, in the finale, one of the three people in David's head because he has three people in there, at least, showed him the egg, and inside was was him saying, you know, I'm a good person and I deserve right. love. So I'm having a hard time kind of deciding whether it's like, yeah, that's a total delusion, and therefore, like, he never was a, a good person, and he doesn't deserve love. Or if that's... Right. I, don't think, I don't think necessarily yeah. he, as a, as a child or as a young adult, was inherently evil. But yeah. the decisions that he's making once he realizes the full scope of his powers and comes into control of them could be. I mean, for example, the fight that he has with Farouk, if he is, if David is this godlike superpower that can do anything, why why did he seem to take so much joy in like beating Farouk? And yes, he had a whole history and and this it's just fascinating to me because you think about like for example when you see that the little egg creature, the episode where it becomes like a really big monster. Right. You know, David's able to just shrink it down and put it in a jar and just boop, do away with that without a, a, a ton of violence. But then, I don't know, you see a lot of violence in his interaction with Farouk, which I, I guess is because of the history there, but still is interesting to me. Well, I think part of it, too, is that since Farouk himself was so powerful, which is, you know, the plan that David enacted, part of it was to use the big, huge uh, tuning fork. Tuning fork, yeah. Right, that would basically take away their powers. So that instead of trying to do something supernatural to him the only thing he had left to do was to you know punch him a bunch and then beat his head yeah. in with a rock there's still that thing with you know the fact that he really was enjoying himself there yeah, yeah. I get the sense that in the comics he's a villain but he's not like 100% villain that there are still parts of him that are yeah. not terrible in the comic too I think that like part of his uh whenever he you know destroys someone or defeats someone he like absorbs their powers so he's kind of like the jack jack of the marvel cinematic universe you know has all these different abilities and as he defeats someone then he's able to do all the things that that you know mutant was able to do right right so yeah. i'll be interested to see how that plays out in future seasons of the show <sighs> i wish i had 
what they had in the Division Three headquarters. You know, that little like sushi train. Where oh my things. gosh! Yeah, the like the what the river. Want? Yeah, I loved that that place. It's like you know, I wish. I worked somewhere that had that as its cafeteria. Uh, yes, sign yeah. me up, please. Yeah, the the uh, the Division Three building in and of itself, like so. So the whole Division Three thing. There's just so many things about it that are really intriguing. So you have like the uh, the guy who's in charge, the guy with the basket on his head, Admiral. What's in such? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so y- you have that dude, and uh, then you have the Vermilion. Which yeah. is the the women? Well, not yeah. women. The, the they look like women, except that they have mustaches. It's so bizarre. Um, I know, but I <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's like I always joke with my husband Will when I watch the show and I see anything in the Division Three headquarters. Like you see the episodes where Melanie is just—I have no idea what drug that is that she's huffing. Yeah. But, uh, you see the extended shots of her room and just the way it is, that whole brutalism, late 70s vibe. And I'm like, this show is so my aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> the outside of the building and a lot of the building actually has, you know, the hexagons all over yeah. the place. So it looks like a huge beehive, which is really interesting. Yeah. Are they little worker bees that are working together for a common good or... You know, is it a hive mentality? I guess there's a lot you could interpret from that. Right. Definitely the vermilion is like the drone bees. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whichever bees it is that just do whatever the hive needs them to do. But yeah, but it's really hard to like pin down exactly when they are speaking for the guy with the basket on his head. Yeah, are they speaking on the Admiral's behalf or is it their own or like, do they have their own agency? How did they become Vermilion? I don't know. I have a lot of questions there. Right. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah, it's like this whole show, there's just so many times when it's like, you know, I want to raise my hand and say, I have questions. You only have a do-over. I think it's another thing that spoils us that we're able to just kind of rewatch these shows over and over. Can you imagine if Legion had been on like in the, I don't know, like late nineties and the only way you could watch it was like, Oh my God. (laughs) In season two, there's this creature that we see this minotaur that inhabits the maze. It's really interesting because trying to understand what is physical and what is mental is also something that's interesting about the show. Yeah. There's often things where it's sometimes hard to tell exactly what what is physical and what isn't. Right. So so you have this maze and there's been all sorts weird of weird minutes for a creature. Yeah, like what what was his deal? You know, I guess when they all were I don't know if it was a virus or they were all part of the delusion that was from the creature that I don't know if that came from the Admiral or whatever the hell that was almost playing that reminded me of that game The Dark Room where it's just like a text prompt and you play yes. the game that was like Melanie's maze yes and then you originally see that minute there and then you see him later and you're like is this just something that's in Melanie's brain or like what's the deal here yeah yeah like when he had the weird like arm and his weird walking devices on his arm and he's all shaggy but then later melanie like kisses him and he gets all buff like what was that about yeah yeah seriously i wound up like i kind of remembered the minotaur from greek mythology when i had it in you know middle school 
So so I wound I wound up actually going and looking it up. It's messed up, which is, you know, of course, like most Greek mythology is messed up. Right, right. Yeah, the yeah. The only thing I remember about them is they were like guardians of a maze, you know? Well, what happened was that there was this king who uh, had asked um, Poseidon for this pure white bull that he was then going to sacrifice in Poseidon's honor. Poseidon gives it to him and he decides, you know, this is a really nice bull. I think I'm going to keep this, which, of course, ticks Poseidon off. And so what Poseidon winds up doing is enchanting the king's wife so that she falls in love with the bull. Oh, yeah. So she's in love with this bull. She wants to uh, consummate this love with the bull. Uh, So she goes she goes to uh, her friend Daedalus and says, hey, could you make me like a female cow contraption that I can like climb inside? (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And then Daedalus does it because, you know, he's he's does weird things and yeah. um yep yep and uh she she copulates with the bull and then nine months later she bears the minotaur which okay. yeah yeah uh which the minotaur since it's not a natural creature it doesn't eat it doesn't have like a natural food source so it eats people oh okay yeah. <laughs> and so they they actually build the maze to keep the Minotaur trapped inside of it. Oh, um, God. Yeah. So that's 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 the mythology of the Minotaur. You know, that makes you wonder who like, who thought of these stories, you know, in terms of Greek mythology. It was just was like, did you just have ladies going around copulating with bulls enough that we had to make cautionary tales about it? Like, <laughs> I know, how right? does that go down? It's like, you know, don't copulate with a bull. You'll have a Minotaur. And it's like yeah, lesson learned, ladies. Right, right. It's like uh, it's uh, how that even works. Yeah. I just want to know. Yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 definitely uh, <laughs> yes, and and yeah. and probably quite outside the um, uh, the age limit for for this particular podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's like boys and girls. We're going to learn about Greek mythology today. So, yeah, so knowing that that's the mythology of it, who was it that Farouk got together with so that this creature was born? I mean, I I do kind of wonder if maybe the Minotaur is David. Yeah. You know? Future David. Future David? Or like... Or something, yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, some, some part of David that Farouk has been nourishing this whole time yeah. in order to be this buff creature that's going to take over the world. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see if, if the, the Minotaur comes back. Yeah, and how? Is he going to be buff Minotaur or is he going to be like weird leper Minotaur? I'm now, you know, thinking of the idea of David being the Minotaur is like, he was kind of hobbled and, you know, the Minotaur is kind of like David's evil side. That it was right. restricted. Yeah, that makes sense because, you know, Future Sid was like, well, once you kill Farouk, then you're going to obviously turn into like this evil person. And, and then, you know, once Farouk sort of finds his body and we sort of start that whole arc, that's when the Minotaur comes out. He's all jacked. Maybe, you know, maybe, what if he's the product of uh, David and Lenny, you know? Oh, my gosh. Or Amy 
whoever that is in there. Oh, yeah. It's just Lenny. Why are Lenny's eyes a different color? Right. Well, somebody else in there, so. She even has Amy's mind in there. Amy, like, confronts her and says, you could give me my body back. So, right. you know, so Amy is in there somehow, which makes it even creepier to think of, you know, right. because it, right. when David went to get Lenny out of prison, it definitely looked like something was going to be going down between the two of them. Yeah, and there's kids in and stuff. Like, that's gross. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I mean, if somebody were to overtake my brother's body, Ew. I don't care who, like, I don't care if it were like Idris Elba's soul in there. Like, I'm not going to make out with my brother. You right. know, I don't feel my brother's body. Like, that's gross. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of ew going on there. Not cool. Not cool at all. So, the show has been renewed for I'm season three. About that. Yeah. Me too. Season four of Fargo, too. So. I'm one happy little fangirl right now. Right, right. So season three of Legion, where do you think it's going to go? I have no idea, and I love it. For me, it's kind of like, where do you go once David has made this decision to do what he did Sid? Where do you go from that? How do you redeem that character arc? Right. How do you continue this weird vibe of David hooking up with his sister, not sister, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Oliver really in the astral plane forever do they just go there to vacation like what's up with that like i have so many unanswered questions yep again i'm you know waving my hand in the air saying questions i have questions yeah so we definitely don't know what we'll see which is awesome because like i never could have predicted you know what season two was going to be like right right you know it was completely out of nowhere you know the uh the guy who's like half of his face got burnt off hamish Later is his real name. He is Did you know so that amazing. in real life he's not, I know, like have a stupid celebrity knowledge for you. <laughs> Hamish Linklater is uh, in a relationship with Lily Rabe and they have kids together. Oh my gosh. Did you ever watch, did you ever watch uh, American Horror yes, Story? Yes, yes. She's Misty Day, the third and best season, which I'll physically fight people who disagree. <laughs> American oh my gosh, that's amazing. They, they've got to have just the most attractive children ever. I think they recently just had a kid too, like nice. their first child. Nice. Yeah. That that that's an interesting little bit of uh, celebrity knowledge. Yeah. He learns something new every day. Yeah, but you know he he's like he's a good guy now. He was very much in the bad guy camp, you know, in season right, one. Right. Well, that's one of the things I love the most about the show is at first you see him, you see his character, and you're like, oh, this is a really bad dude. Yeah, but then you see the whole process he went through after that initial uh, outburst attack whatever from david and he's burnt and his partner's taking care of him and like he becomes a very sympathetic character he really does like really fascinating to me the way that that was portrayed and way that that's done and even the conversations that he's had you know i think they played the same scene in a couple episodes where he has the conversation with with Sid and Sid's talking about David and how she's got to go find him and help him and yeah yeah and he's like you realize that this is a guy who can destroy the world if you hurt his feelings really bad so yeah so I definitely didn't see season two coming so I'm probably not gonna see season three coming Pretty much yeah. no matter what it winds up being. Are there things that you would like to see? You know, one thing I would like to see more of, I'd like to see more Melanie. Uh, you know, the fit, one thing that bothered me in the season finale, you had Melanie in this like astral plane where every night is tapas and, and slam poetry night with Oliver. Right. 
which didn't seem to me to be a happy ending because, you know, her, her period of drug addiction there was just trying to realize even after Oliver had come back for a short amount of time before, you know, Farood and Habit Bergen inhabited his body was that this was the same person. We'd been away for so long, you know, and you see her, her sort of recognize that and take agency and say, yes, we were together and we were together when I was young, but now I'm making my own decisions. And it just kind of like pisses me off a little. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I want to see that resolved or what, what that is. I, I need to figure out what that is. Cause it's really, it's eating at me. Is there ghost Amy? Will ghost Amy pop up when David and shell of Amy's body that's inhabited by Lenny have sex? How does that work? <laughs> yeah. They're going to have to deal with that because you know, when he went to, to rescue her from the, the jail, it definitely looked like they were going to be getting it on. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. going to have to be addressed. And then it also becomes, too, another layer of we hear two obviously mentally unstable people in a relationship that David was codependent with Sid. It'll be even more so codependent with, with Lamey, I guess I could call her. Lamey, but that's then great. You have to throw in the whole catastrophic element of drug addiction. You know, when Lenny has this high-powered rifle that she's supposed to use to shoot the tuning fork, you know, she does it once and then she's huffing the elephant fumes, uh-huh. vaping heroin or whatever it is they're doing on an important mission. She's getting messed up and like, what's that going to be like for them? Are they going to end up being, you know, huffing drugs a lot? How does that play out? And with, with David, of course, David's a lot more powerful and dangerous than, a, you know, a sniper rifle. So, you know, what's that going to be like that when he gets high and when, you know, his schizophrenia is still uh, an ongoing factor, you know, how is that going to affect him? How is it going to make him dangerous? Yeah. I see that. Yeah, I want to see that. I want to see the carries have a little bit more agency on their own, too. I love to see the two of them and how they interact together. And I enjoy girl Carrie learning what she likes to eat and what she doesn't like to eat and just sort of seeing that this is a whole person in here. You know, it's not just a mutant power that pops out sometimes. These are two people that have been in one body. Yeah, I really like that. They're kind of working on making her her own person. She didn't do anything but like go places and fight before not having kind of the experiences you need to have in order to be human yeah watching that that change has been really interesting i do wonder if they're going to be sending the uh the badass x chromosome carry out to try to find and or terminate david yeah i don't know and it makes you wonder like what what would they be able to do at that point when he is at the apex of his power you know do you make a plan to reason with him or fight with him because it seems any plan that you had to fight with this person is only going to end up one way and that's with your being disintegrated yeah so even even if they got the drop on him yeah it's it's not gonna end well Mm -mm. which you know was was one of the things with that episode with all of the different timelines of david that he died in a lot of those timelines but you know it was never clean yeah yeah do you think Farouk will uh, will be a part of the next uh, next season? I think so. I really do. You see the moment where he's sort of able to stand up and stretch his arms out and beautiful sunlight on him. I feel like it would definitely continue to be a threat. I don't know how much of a threat. I could see the writers making it like a mulligan type thing to where we think, oh, Farouk is back and he's our big bad and this is what we've got to do to like 
save the world that it turns out kind of like this the big bad is david you know i'm not sure that they'd be able to to quite do it in the same way again but i could see them doing it a bit differently so we'll see well thank you so much for being on the show no problem thank you for listening to the hopeless fancast you can follow us on twitter at hopeless fancast on our Facebook page, The Hopeless Fancast, and find all of our episodes on hopelessfancast.com. If you enjoy our show, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash thehopelessfancast to find out more. Thank you, and we'll see you soon.